Binge Theory, where you discuss all things entertainment, social, points of interest, nerd culture, pop culture. We discuss it all here. With me today, we have Kyle. What's up? We have Justin. Hey. We have Tan. Hey, what's going on? And we're going to tear it up right off the bat, gentlemen. I want to talk about four new movies that are coming out this week, and we're going to pick the ones that we like or have any interest in. Uh, quick, I'll just mention them. We have Zombieland, Maleficent, Lighthouse, and Jojo Rabbit. Now, Kyle, do you have any interest in any of these? And if so, why? Yeah, so earlier we were talking about Zombieland and Zombieland 2. And it's funny because both Tan and Justin never seen Zombieland 1. And they were asking me, okay, what, what genre is this? And I, I couldn't say Zomcom. Um, because it's, it is, I guess, zombie comedy. Mm-hmm. But there's not much rom-com to it, I guess. So I don't know how I'd put it. And I was saying it's probably like Zoomer. It's like zombie humor. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point is just like, the, I guess this world that they're in, they basically got invaded by zombies, whatever backstory. Something so, happened. It, yeah, they, ne- they never really spoke to why. Because it doesn't matter. It really <laughs> exactly. looks like a funny walking dead, basically. It's like... It's, it's essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then and then the whole entire movie, it's really cool because they kind of break the, the fourth wall, I guess, because they have narrative. Yeah. And so they have like, oh, like, uh, it's kind of like a comic strip where it's like, boom, like, wow, Zam or something like that. And so one of my favorite parts from Zombieland 1 was they literally were like, this is how you outrun a zombie. Like, one of the key tips about Zombieland, Mm -hmm. then one of the ones was, like, cardio. Make sure you're good at cardio, because you can always outrun a zombie. Or if you're not good at cardio, make sure you outrun the fat guy, and stuff stuff like that. And and they just kind of made humor about it. And I I loved it, because it's just very, it's like zombies. It's like, all right, I get it, you can make it horrifying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's like, when you can make it funny, it... I think That's Shaun of the Dead broke. I was just about to ask, like, well, how would you compare this to Shaun of the Dead? Because that movie is probably like the funniest horror zomber movie. Zomber movie. <laughs> zomber movie. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Actually, I think they're right on the same page. Uh-huh. I think Zombieland's production was way better. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. artistically, it was shot way better. They also have like Bill Murray in it, which is awesome. Yeah, um, he was hilarious. <laughs> in uh, playing Bill Murray. Bill playing Bill Murray. A zombie <laughs> Bill Murray. Um, so it was hilarious. And, like, one of the things that I'm always just, like, the biggest tip I got from the movie was, like, they said double tap. Uh-huh. So anytime you kill a zombie, a zombie, don't just kill it once. So make sure you double tap. It's a, you, like, make back. sure that it's dead, make right? Sure, okay. yeah. yeah, it's so. a callback, to from the first one mm-hmm. because they made, made reference to that. Now, um, one thing I did like about um, this was a lot of the slow motion. Mm-hmm. They did those slow motion action scenes. I don't know if it's going to be played out if they keep doing that. You know how something's kind of a... Uh, a new cool style of filmmaking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then if you do it again and again then it becomes old hat it's uh I talked about Zack Snyder a little bit last week already but like Zack Snyder does that a lot in all of his movies there's like at least one slow motion cut scene where like 
they're fighting, and then all of a sudden everything's going in slow motion. It's like, all right, man, it's we get it. Yeah, it's obligatory. Yeah, it's obligatory. We get it, man. You can afford really nice cameras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, that, that, that is cool. Justin, what do you think? What do you think of these that may make you go to the theater? Well, I haven't seen Zombieland once, so I have literally nothing to contribute to that. I highly recommend. I think I, it would. Fit I think I'm gonna have to add it to well. the list now. Is it on Netflix or anything? Like, I'm I, sure it is. If yeah. Zombieland Two is coming out, it's gotta be on Netflix sometime. It doesn't strike me as like as funny. Not not that it's not funny, but it's not like specifically going for the funny like uh, yeah. Shaun of the Dead was. Like that was more like almost slapstick. I don't know, but it Zombieland, was, yeah. from what I've seen, it looks more like there's a plot. More developed mm-hmm. plot to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, interested to see that. And the I think the character build-up is really cool, too. Okay. Like well, I mean, I love Emma Stone, so... Yeah, there you go. She's one of my faves. I love the trailer, how they say, you know, Oscar-nominated, Oscar-nominated, Oscar-winner, Oscar-nominated, and then you just see them blowing zombies' heads off. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, I'm excited to see Maleficent, although I, I haven't seen the first one either, but I'm a sucker for Angelina Jolie. Honestly, any kind of, like, powerful woman figure in a movie is really good, especially when there's, like, I don't know, like, powers, you know? Like, because yeah. I saw the preview for this, and she's, like, shooting all this green stuff out of her hands. She looks like she's in charge, and I'm excited to see yeah. this. Aren't you a big fantasy fantasy guy, too? Oh, I love fantasy, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, no, uh, but I haven't seen the first one, but I do love a strong female, like, lead, mm-hmm. but... It's interesting because this one's taking in, they're making it like an evil female lead. So I would be very interested to see that one. Kind of an anti-hero? Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't really dabbled in the anti-hero stuff much, but it, I feel like it's becoming more of a common kind of theme in movies these days. It's like an anti-hero. I feel like if you've seen Deadpool, then like you could check that yeah. off your box. Like Deadpool's like a very big like anti-hero type of movie. Well, and also the Joker just came out. Oh, so yeah, yeah, like yeah. All the these too. anti-heroes. I would hope he's not a hero. Well, he's, <laughs> he's a hero to, like, the people that, like, are downtrodden is, like, yeah, the that, whole, like... I think we're gonna go into a rabbit hole because right. that, that could be... <laughs> that could be perceived the wrong way for sure. I, I think anybody emulating the Joker may have some bigger issues than, uh, you know... You could say, I mean, I mean, that's that's kind of a fun. We should do that as a podcast about like antiheroes because you could even say like Megatron was technically a hero. Yeah, I mean, like it's just like like how the pers- like the he- the message of the person is perceived. Like who at like like the hero the role of hero is very subjective to like the audience. Like not even us as an audience, but like the people in the movie that are looking up to this person. Like. <laughs> We actually spoke about that in our last some podcast where it was if you know you have some sort of an understandable goal uh-huh. or a backstory or it's not just the typical old DC black and white I want to rule the world I yes. want money I want power so yep. it's more it's more nuanced and, and, and Maleficent has that, and I where feel like she started off almost good. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't know, hero's not, like, the right word for it. But, like, yeah. an anti-force or a, something, a I guess. A sympathetic... Antagonist. antagonist. It has to be some level of sympathy towards this character, because otherwise you're just like, oh, I want them to lose, you know? Yeah, know. exactly. Same thing with, again, uh, my favorite character in Marvel is, like, Killmonger. Killmonger. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's technically, like, yeah, he's technically the antagonist, but it's, like... He has he still had uh, what's his name? Uh, who's the guy who was like in charge of the rhinos in Wakanda? Oh, from um, um Get Out. Yeah, um, uh, I cannot remember his name. He's in charge of the rhinos. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's the rhino. He had him on yeah, his yeah, side. So it's like obviously some people see what he does as right. Mm-hmm. So. True, and, and yeah, it was it was it was more political than 
uh, good versus evil. It was mm-hmm. based on agendas. And sure. as Captain America said in, uh, what was it, uh, Civil War, agendas change. Mm-hmm. And depending on what side you are on that agenda, you can be good or evil. You, you um, could even argue that Captain America now is kind of a well, anti... Hannibal, um, the comedian, said, and I think it was Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a war criminal now. Yo, yes. <laughs> that is my favorite cameo in like any movie, is like Hannibal Burris like, just showing up as a gym teacher. He's so funny. He's so good. <laughs> he had some good one-liners and a total disinterested... A stoic look about him, and like, okay, I listen to Hanwell's podcast a lot, and like, he talks about like his acting and stuff. And he's For like, the record, only listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please don't don't give any other podcast. Yes. Hannibal stole all his material from here. Yes, uh, but he talks about like how he acts, and he's like, yeah, I'm not really acting. I'm just like, I'm just being myself. Like, I'm just, I'm just doing whatever. And it's like, it's so true because like his character in the movie is just him. Like, he's reading stuff off of a piece of paper. But it's like how, that's what makes it great, though. He's like, I have 30 years of being myself. Maybe I'm just really funny. I should be myself. Yeah. This is for sure. And, but, and again, I don't want to bypass Justin. So, the one you have most interest in out of these four, what would you say? Well, honestly, I hadn't gotten to it yet, but Lighthouse. But I don't know anything about it. I want to talk more about it. I can give you a quick high-level view. The guy who um, wrote and directed um, Witch... Um, with Anna Taylor jo- Anna Taylor Joy, mm-hmm. um, created this. It's all in black and white. It stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. It's about two men that are on a like an isolated um, out out outreach of land, you know, managing a, a lighthouse. And then they start to go mad, and it, it spirals into some sort of dark, uh, you know, psycho thriller kind of a um, film. Don't know all the details, but if you watch the trailer, it looks like they're dealing with some kind of just madness creeping in, kind of a, a, a um, what do you call it, cabin fever. Yes. Deal. It's kind of like uh, Shutter Island meets The Shining. Yeah, Exactly like that. Perfect. No, this perfect. sounds great, and Willem Dafoe is perfect for this, I think. He's, Will, I love Willem him Dafoe's too. the man. So I've, good. I've been a fan of Willem Dafoe since a, a little role he played a long time ago, not many people have seen it, called Streets of Fire, where he mm-hmm. played a rockabilly thug. It, it came out a long time ago. This is before he was even in To Live and Die in L.A., I'm talking like early to mid '80s. I, I thought you were going to say Norman Osborn, and I was oh, <laughs> that was like <laughs> the small little role that he's played in Norman Osborn. Yeah. None of you guys have heard of it. Before. Well, it was funny. Is he he was um it was uh, Streets of Fire. It's it starred Diane Lane and uh, Mike Perry, and uh, had Willem Dafoe as the tough guy. And again, he's like five eight, yeah, you know, a hundred and thirty pounds probably. But he was playing like this thug, you know, um, patent leather biker gang member. And if you ever watch it, you'll just see they try and make him look really tough, even though he's like Prince, you know, running around. But he plays it pretty good because he came out, nobody knew who he was. He had the, um, the features, you know, the, the gaunt chin and the cheekbones. He looked rough, but I definitely recommend you see that um, to, you know, get your um, Willem Dafoe on. Yeah, so no, I just like the weird energy he brings to movies. Like, his role in uh, The Boondock Saints when he's the detective, I was like, is this still Willem Dafoe? It's like a totally different person. It's so He's just so good. He goes out, he finds characters. He, he's not, he definitely not a typecast. Um, so, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. So you're interested in Lighthouse. Definitely. Awesome. Now, Tan, what do you like out of these four? All right, well, speaking of controversy and antiheroes, Jojo Rabbit. Good. It, uh, anti-hero, shout out Hitler, 
Uh, that's what this movie is basically about, is, like, it's a satirical look on Nazism and the World War II. It's basically making fun of, like, just Nazis and that time period and how people, like, how people today are like, oh, like, like, uh, there's a black and white to, like, or not a black and white, but, like, a gray area to being a Nazi and not being, like, a good person. And, like, this movie, like, takes that and is like, hey, let's, let's make this message, like, black and white like we want you to understand like what actually nazism is about and like make it funny for you for like and i think this is intended for a family audience too which is like the craziest part because when disney bought fox this was like a fox searchlight movie so it's like an indie film from fox they were going to cancel it because they were like oh i don't know if this should like go out to like a general audience or ever see the light of day because we don't want to make Nazis angry like we want people to like still like Disney it's like why do you care about those people liking your this is a very hot take so I apologize to any Nazis listening to this yes Uh, if 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 there are Nazis listening I hear Hannibal Burris has a podcast you can go check that one out but to that point I, I definitely agree. It's a divisive subject. You're going to have a lot of controversy just with the term Nazi. So the one thing I will say is Taika Waititi directing this yes. and playing Hitler, I think, gives it that I just okay. That. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. saw that. I was like, oh, crap, I'm totally watching this now. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's the thing. That's the past because if it's Taika Waititi, yeah. I mean, obviously him being a, a Kiwi from New Zealand, it's not, you know, basically if, you know, a German or somebody who was completely Aryan, made this film. It would it, be a totally different vibe and have a totally different message. But exactly. Watiti like, directing this, like, gives it that, like, oomph, I it's feel like. tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, you know it's tongue-in-cheek. It's satirical, and absolutely, uh, it's not Schindler's List. So you're not going to see the horrors of it. It's almost done from a child's imagination, because as I see it, Hitler, played by Takawatiti, is a figment of this young it, yes. Hitler Hitler youth, and it's more along the lines. I, I also I almost want to compare it to um, Midnight Kingdom, where you know it's, where like those kids are. Is yes. that is that like they're trying to escape the camp and like exactly. it's like this. It's 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 like a um, a um, a nuanced um, version in kids exploring their imagination mm-hmm. and it just happens to be during World War II. Mm-hmm. So it's not really about the horrors of Nazism, it's about if you were a kid growing up in this time, right. what would your perspective of it be? And especially if you had an overactive imagination, it ties all that in during one of the most horrific times in, in human humanity. But still, Taika Waititi, if anybody can make it funny or quirky, I think Taika Waititi has um, that skill set and don't forget, there was a movie called The Producers, where they literally made a movie about Hitler, did a musical number about springtime for Hitler in Germany, and the whole point was trying trying to be offensive, and the audience loved it because it was so bizarre and over the top, and mocking Hitler. And I don't forget, Charlie movie. Chaplin also played a, a semblance of Hitler in, um, in The Dictator. I wonder so, how this movie will do in Germany. It will not play. Yeah, it, 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 I think Germany has like a like gag order on like things like 
that even reference Nazism. You cannot use that yeah. term lightly out there. Right. Wait. Also, Scarlett Johansson and Rebel Wilson are also mentioned. That is correct. So, can somebody explain to me the title? What's the who is Jojo Rabbit? Jojo is the boy. Okay. Yes. And they call him Rabbit because he runs. I yes. see. So yeah, it's definitely again shot from the perspective of a child's imagination. Got it. During it's <laughs> like giving World War II the Thor Ragnarok treatment, basically. Exactly stated. And that's why I love Taika Waititi. His perspective and his voice and his vision have always um, been strong. I've loved what he's been doing ever since What We Do in the Shadows. That was, to me, a, a uh, it was a mockumentary of vampires. I thought it was awesome. I thought he killed it. And um, I'm just going to, you know, parlay into that because I definitely think Jojo Rabbit, and I'm just going to say the ones I have based on interest. I'm more interested in Jojo Rabbit because it just looks like something that'll make me laugh at Nazis, which I find hard to do, but again, if anybody <laughs> can do that, Taika, Taika can. Then Lighthouse, then Zombieland, and if I have time and somebody, I find a ticket on the, on the street for Maleficent, I'll go check that out. But not, not, and again, I like um, Angelina Jolie, but she's just so affected. I, sometimes I just find it hard to enjoy her because I've known about her ever since the days of, um, what was it, Jilly, um, where she played the model, um, Gia. She played a uh, supermodel Gia way back in the day, mm-hmm. in the um, mid-90s. And seeing her go from that, and her Billy Bob Thornton, and the whole drinking blood, and the whole becoming a UN ambassador, and adopting 20 kids. Are we... She drank blood? Yeah, she... she no, she didn't drink blood. She, I'm sorry, she carried a vial of Billy Bob Thornton's blood around her neck. <laughs> oh, that's even weirder. Yes, no, that. she excelled in weird, but... And I'm going to say this. She was. I was going to say this. She's lost. I'm going to put it out there. She was this very is weird. Jolie without all the makeup. This is Angelina Jolie being herself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she took this role because it was forced upon her. I think she saw something of herself in this role. And you're right. She never plays weak characters. Yeah. You know, from Salt to um, uh, what was that one where they bend the bullet? Oh, oh yes. Uh, I, can, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Wanted? Wanted, exactly. Um, she, she always plays a strong character, yep. and that's fine. I, I give her all the props for that. She just seems very affected, and that's my two cents on it. But still a great actor. And um, that being said, we've done, done what's coming out this week. And now we're going to touch base on the best sequel. We're going to start off with Kyle. Let us know what you think is the best sequel of all time. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we were talking about it earlier, and I was curious about, you know, what you guys consider... What is the, what do you grade as like a best sequel? Like, are you looking at because the previous movie sucks, or like it's a great connector? I, what do you guys look at? So, like, when I think of a good sequel, I'm usually also thinking that like the first movie was also good, mm-hmm. and like it's a continuation of something that is good that does the first one even better or just as good. Um, yep. I would agree with that because if the yeah. first one was really bad and the second one's good then it's I don't know I almost kind of it's like a reset almost I, exactly I feel that yeah. well and that's an excellent point um, because I'll, it's usually the, um, the what do they call it, the sophomore jinx where most sequels don't rise to the level of quality as sure. the first mm-hmm. one so that is a rarity but if you're saying that it would, defines a sequel as being the first one was good and this one was just better as opposed to this being a standalone sequel is just kind of good on its own. What, what, are you, what are you thinking? I don't think it defines a sequel. I just mm-hmm. think movies that can 
be good their first time around and then do better the second time, I view those as higher up on the list than a movie that's really not good and then the second one's okay. okay. You know gotcha. what I mean? So, um, building upon an already successful film. Exactly. Gotcha. This is like the Taika Waititi pod today because I'm going to go back to Thor Ragnarok. Like, it's not necessarily like a... I Like, it's a reset of like the franchise almost. It's not necessarily like even a sequel to... Let's make sure though that we're... if Because sequel is the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor Ragnarok so, so, is technically the fourth one. So, but but let let's open it up. And instead of just sequel, let's just say the the best part in a uh, what's the term um, series se- series yeah. Yeah. series. Um, you know, whether it's the oh. second, third. Let's just say what's okay. the best continuation of a of a character. So then, but and then Kyle, you know, run with this. First. So then, in, in that case, the way I look at that, I'm always looking at okay, if the first movie irrelevant of how good it did from the second movie on, like how well did it do after that? Did it garner yeah. more attention? Because um, then, based off the first one, I was gonna say the Dark Knight for the Nolan trilogy, but good, good one. but I didn't like the third one as much as I like the second one. But then saying that, like what did set up the rest of the series, I would definitely say Captain America: Winter Soldier. Um, I mean, a standalone movie on its own. My wife saw the first Avenger. She was like, oh, "This is just okay." And she was like, "I didn't." She and I told her my favorite character of Marvel is it's two. It's Captain America and Silver Surfer. And so she saw the first Avenger, and she was like, this is your favorite character? I was like, this was just an intro? Like, let's wait. And then she saw Winter Soldier, and she was like, oh, I get it now. Like, this is actually, it's about, like, espionage and, like, corruption. And I was like, yeah, that's the whole that's the whole thing. And so after that, she was like, I get it. And then that set up Civil War, which was also one of the best Marvel movies to date, I would say. And then it also set up, not necessarily in the Captain America series, but it also set up the rest of the movies. Because then you have that whole entire thing with, you don't know who's Hydra, you don't know who's what. There's this whole trust that's kind of been broken, and the Avengers kind of got split up. Like, all those things, which I think that's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best sequels then. Um, And then even standalone, if you watch that movie on your own, just, like, by itself, you really don't even need to watch the first one. Like, it's good enough. Like, it's on its own. That's, I think that's, like, the ultimate sequel is that, like, it's good as a standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. they just give a little hint of what happened prior. Right. But it's not reliant upon everything that happened in it. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to do a flashback, mm-hmm. which is very important. And you're absolutely right. Captain America, the um, first Avenger, mm-hmm. I found it forgettable. And it's probably because it's really hard to have superpowers, I'm using air quotes, in a World War Two. No, that was World War One or No, no, two. Wonder Woman was World War One. Yeah, a World War Two film. You're fighting with, you know, a super ability. Anytime you go back in history mm-hmm. and do a historically, uh, you know, what they call I guess historic fiction, it's hard to pull off because we know how World War Two ended. Sure. There was no super powered, you know, soldier. So instead of a current parallel timeline, going back in history and re- doing revisionist history, if you will, with superpowers, it's always hard to pull off. And especially because the Nazis did not have, they had, I think, the Tesseract-powered weapons. Mm-hmm. They were trying to you know, build Parts up that ar- armory mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. which is fine. But still, it's almost like when he's fighting regular soldiers, you don't get that sense of drama because he's, 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 he's in God mode. Mm-hmm. You know, he can outperform them, outthink them. You know, he's faster than them. So I don't see as much drama until he fought uh, Red Skull. Mm-hmm. And that was brief. 
in and of itself. Yeah, and then there's so many like iconic scenes in that movie that stem the rest of the Marvel universe, like that elevator scene. In, in the Winter Soldier, scene. yeah, absolutely, that is insane. It's still one of my best scenes to date. Um, I mean, everything from that, bringing up Crossbones, um, the relationship between him and Fury, like all those things, just kind of like propelled the rest of the franchise forward. I, think. I think that was a game changer because they definitely shot Winter Soldier like it was a spy thriller mm -hmm. as opposed to a superhero mm -hmm. film, and they kept it grounded. You didn't have uh, people flying or lasers coming out mm -hmm. of their eyes. Mm -hmm. You just had a super soldier, mm -hmm. which is much more plausible mm -hmm. with yeah. physics. Yeah. I'm a big fan of things staying within the realm of physics. The only time they kind of went for it, I would say, is the bridge scene where he's fighting a Harrier jump jet. Yeah. And he basically, it looked awesome, yeah. but you're kind of like, yeah. okay, doing a flip onto a jet, throwing your shield, doing like a boomerang <laughs> effect, and then catching it and doing a... Uh, that's... That's Cap. It is. It absolutely is. 100% Cap. It absolutely is. But some of my favorite scenes, to your point, was um, on the freeway where um, Winter Soldier first attacks them. Oh, and, yeah. you know, they uh, are running, and Scarlet, sorry, not Scarlet, which Black Widow, uh -huh. is knocked off the overpass, throws a grappling hook, catch, you know, catches a swing midair, mm -hmm. and hits the ground literally running. Doesn't even break a beat. Um, and those scenes were phenomenal because... Mm -hmm. They were um, practical effects, first of all, which always makes a film better. And you can tell the difference. I don't care how good CG is nowadays. You can always tell the difference between practical effects and CG or green screen. And they did so much practical effects, you felt the, um, the ability of this was going to be... Um, the ability of this was going to be so... I guess the best way to say it is this was so plausible that you didn't find yourself being distracted by what you were seeing on screen. Yeah. I would even say also one of the best fight scenes in that whole movie was that the choreography between him, Steve Rogers, and the Winter Soldier. When the they night all, fight? Yeah, the night fight was sick. So I, I love that scene as well. It was. Um, and I think it really brought out just how, how great of a fighter Steve was. Because up to that point, I don't really feel like it was kind of all like just, you know, like running and barrage through people, but then there was like an actual technical fight scene. When you see him fighting an equal, mm -hmm. that's, again, there's the drama. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, if you punch a, a World War II soldier in the chest, and he's like, ow, and then just lays down. Yeah. But you're fighting somebody who's you know, matching you with speed and strength. The only other time I saw something comparable to that was when he was trying to fight Loki mm -hmm. in, uh, I think it was Avengers, mm -hmm. the first Avengers. Mm -hmm. And um, that was... I, you know what's funny is I can never get a, a, a level or a bead on Loki's power level because mm -hmm. he, he, he was going kind of toe-to-toe with Captain America and then you never really see him do anything like that again. Mm -hmm. Especially in, I'm going to jump ahead to Endgame mm -hmm. where he fights Thanos and spoilers. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he basically tries to pull a knife on Thanos with not the best success. Yeah. It's almost like if I were to pull a knife on Thanos and get the same result. Yeah. So it's it's... But anyway, you're absolutely right. Winter Soldier had some phenomenal action scenes and just the story was strong and it set up a huge corner in the overall Marvel Universe um, and, you know, structure. And correct me if I'm wrong, was that the first Russo Brothers introduction to I Marvel? think it was. And that tells that yeah. says a lot. And mm -hmm. that's why I think it had because again, I will say to this, you know, to anybody who'll listen, the comedians can write action and horror mm -hmm. because a comedian's skill set is timing and being able to keep storylines together. And that skill set, I think, is always applicable to every type of movie making. 
if you get the right um, pair, especially when you're dealing with the, that whole brother dynamic mm-hmm. where one has a specialty in one and they kind of play off of each other. It's usually, uh, I don't think I've seen a comedy um, writing, directing team that's ever had a bad foray, foray into another genre. And of course, I'll use Joker as a perfect example. I mean, Todd Phillips, you were talking about, you know, old school and um, Hangover. And then he comes out with one of the most dark and disturbing movies ever. That was an accident. He just, he knew how to do it and, and get those performances out of Joaquin. Yeah. And obviously, the Kevin Feige must agree that that was an incredible movie too because then he hired the Russo brothers for like the next like three, four movies. If it's so, not broke. Yeah. I mean, yeah, then they were doing it and I don't know what they're doing now. Oh, they're, they're going into Star Wars, aren't they? Or is I, that... I, I heard rumor of that. I don't yeah. remember. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I'll have to check yeah. in on that because that, that again, they could save that universe. Not that it's not making money, but, hmm. you know, being... It could be more awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to be... Uh, to be desired from that, so. Awesome. Well, you know, let's let's not leave just now. Justin, what would you say is, in your opinion, the um, best sequel? So, I don't know. Uh, I'd also say it's probably my favorite movie of all time, but, and it's also a standalone in its own right, like you guys were talking about earlier, uh, but Aliens, that's with an S. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I am a diehard fan for the entire Alien saga, so the first one is like inventing the whole enterprise essentially and then the second one they really just brought in like more action because the first one's kind of slow but they brought in more action there's romance there is saving the children there is the the horror elements as well they introduced kind of some more features of like the alien itself which is totally sci-fi nerd like me I loved it um so I just think that they really got the formula right. And like we were talking about earlier, like you can watch Aliens and you don't have to watch Alien at all just to know what's going on. They kind of like input some plot elements, but it's mostly like, oh, Sigourney Weaver, who again, strong female lead, I'm a big fan of. Sigourney Weaver is probably my favorite actor, actress of all time. Um, but they, they kind of like make her terrified of the aliens so you have like this sense in the beginning of like oh this is a bad dude in the first alien or in, in aliens in aliens when right. she like they unfreeze her uh, they like found her you know so like she's already traumatized and you can tell she's just a good actress she's like I'm not going back but of course she ends up going back um, and so then the plot ensues from there and I don't know I just think they got all the elements right I mean, you guys have seen aliens right uh, well and to your point um because she was just taken out of um, cryosleep, in her mind, she literally just escaped one of the most horrific things ever. So Definitely. she's suffering from post-traumatic stress, and they touch on that when she's having these nightmares. And that's the one thing that sparks her to go because she was a you know she was a kind of a badass in Alien. It's just that she came across something that nobody had ever seen before. She didn't know what she was doing. No, but she still survived. Yeah, which is not by accident. She used skill sets. She wasn't a warrior. She just had to use her brains to get out of that situation, and and imagine just barely surviving and then waking up and then finding out that there's a whole colony there, you know, where you just escaped from, and she's still having these nightmares. But I think her mindset is she, no matter what the issue is, she'll face it and take it on. And I have a feeling that's what motivated her. We're going to go there and kill him because otherwise I'm just going to be suffering from nightmares and I can't get over this. So I got to face it. And I think that's been her mindset from the first one and they carried on to this one is her inner strength to take something on and not cower and not be the one that waits for somebody to save them. And that's also 
discussed when um, um, Kyle, not Kyle Reese, that's Terminator, um, same character actor, um, is the one who teaches her how to use a, a, a pulse rifle. And she's like, you know, show right. me everything. I can take care of myself. And he goes, yeah, I noticed that. So, Justin, did you see Covenant then? Uh, yeah, I did see Covenant. How did you like that? Uh, Sigourney wasn't in that one, right? Yeah, this is the this is the one with. It's a prequel. Uh, it's a prequel. Yeah, but I don't know. Sometimes they like you know they do cameos. She's not even in it at all. Uh, I they took it in a different direction with these new prequels that they're making. Um, it's more of a horror genre now, whereas before it was like it was not as horror e. That's not even an adjective. But like I don't know. They're take, they're going more for like gore and shock value, whereas I feel like before it was more like science heavy and like sci-fi focused, which is I'm a sucker for. Don't get me wrong, I still like the new ones, but once you take my favorite characters out and then try to like change, because it doesn't fit as ni- nicely as like I'd want the prequels to fit into the saga. If, if, if I can um, dovetail onto that, I think you'll definitely see from Alien which was a suspense thriller in a sci-fi setting, they turned it, and a lot of these films did this when they changed, uh, I think they went from the late 70s to the early 80s, because the 80s was all about the spectacle of action. Absolutely. So they did the same thing for Terminator, they did the same thing for Alien, because they made Aliens, and it went from a, uh, a sci-fi thriller to more of an action film. That's why you had the Marines blowing everything up, and, you know, catchphrases and all that stuff, which was awesome. You know, I think it's had it today, but it was definitely a transition. And in Alien 3, I think it was Alien yeah, 3. Yeah, it's Alien 3. Yeah, that one that Sigourney Weaver and even co-produced didn't get a lot of rave reviews because it was different. It was more, um, um, you know... Um, it was more subdued. It was more subdued, exactly. Definitely. And I liked how they shot it like a sepia tone on a prison planet. I liked the whole, uh, I, I would say, the... Um, the, the politics of it where these were prisoners yes and, and, and she was isolated and they were isolated and there was you know she even had to deal with um, sexual assault and you know these were not decent people these were not heroes by any stretch of the imagination but there was just a bigger monster and you know so they had to ban against the, the, the bigger monster which is always kind of what happens is it's not about being good or bad it's just about who's more of a threat not to badmouth the saga, but they went on a left turn after that because they were using Absolutely. real... I feel like they were using real props for the alien in a lot of... One, well, one, it was completely real. It was no CGI practical at all, effects, obviously. Again. Practical effects, exactly. But then third, they really came in heavy with the CGI, and you could tell. So, I don't know. The third one is kind of... I put it off to the side when I think about the alien saga. But second one, I stand by it. It's standalone. It's wonderful. Highly recommend it. I think that's an awesome pick. Now, Tan, what is your favorite sequel? Not necessarily being the second one in a series, but any follow-up in in a series. Yeah, uh, and that definitely helps me with what my next answer is going to be. Toy Story 3. Yeah. Toy Story 3 (laughs) is so good as, like, just a standalone movie, but it gives you the reward of, like, if you've seen one and two, Mm -hmm. like, it's like, hey, like... Here's your reward. We're gonna make you cry so much at the end of this movie. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Because uh, like, I think this is something that Pixar does really well with all their sequels. Is at the beginning they give you like a really quick like catch up of like where like all their characters have been. Like you see like 
where like Andy like growing up and like throughout like the ages and you don't really need to know any of the characters like before you watch this movie like they want to get like four-year-old kids into the theater and they do it so well and they make such a good movie and like two kind of falls off because the story isn't quite there and you're not as like in as engaged with like Woody being like this despondent like depressed toy that like I'm just trying to get home. My arm's ripped off. I used to be famous. This one is, like, about <laughs> Andy, which is, like... That's always the most interesting part of, like, Toy Story is, like, the humans that the toys interact with. And... I don't yeah. I don't disagree with your critique of Toy Story 2, but I still think it was instrumental in the series because, you know, it introduced all those new yeah, characters. Yeah, it definitely like does. Jesse yeah. and I don't... What's the Bullseye? horse's name? Bullseye. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I think two has its place. It I and I think it definitely does. I think it's just like a slower movie than oh, like definitely. Toy Story One and Toy Story Three. For are. sure. Like those get to the point and it's like the point is yeah. don't it forget about your kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. I did like I did like Toy Story Three. I, I never saw Toy Story Three. I, oh, you missed I saw out. Toy Story One and I gotta tell you, I mean, it gets me in the feels. Uh-huh. I, I love the whole Pixar child, Nemo, all that. But I'm telling you, maybe I'm, it's because I'm becoming cynical in my old age. I don't want to feel. I don't want to <laughs> feel wanna that feel. much. It's too many feels. And, and I try to avoid it. I, I also had a, a like kind of a, uh, a misty moment when I saw Abominable. And I wasn't expecting it. I just went there because I thought it would be a nice um, distraction. And it had these moments where I was feeling a little misty. And I don't <laughs> like that. I like to, you know, just, you know, analyze the film and... But Disney definitely knows what buttons to press. Pixar, Pixar um, you know, even like a, they all know how to reach into the inner child and remind you what feeling is like. Um, but no, that's an excellent pick. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent pick. Thank you. My, mine, I would say, uh, I mentioned it before, but Terminator 2. Just based on the fact that Terminator 1 was a success, but it was a early sci-fi success that wasn't well-crafted, it was just an interesting story to tell. And then Terminator 2 took such a broad leap forward in regards to action cinema in general, and it's still one of the best ones. I wish that people knew what the, the, the contribution that Arnold Schwarzenegger's films made to the overall action sequence, because you had Rambo and Sylvester Stallone, but when you have, and I'm talking back-to-back, Terminator 2 and Predator, that whole genre of action was really solidified with those two films. Mm-hmm. And if you think about Terminator 2, you had not only these, again, practical effect stunts, like when they were doing the motorcycle chase scenes, that to me still is some of the best choreographed action that I've seen. And when he, again, they introduced a plausible, or at least an, not an eye-jarring effect with the, the liquid metal um, robot. Now, it still, it doesn't hold up as much today, but imagine seeing that yeah. in like the early 90s where you've never seen that effect done before on any level, and it, it passes. It, it passes. And, and again, you had the, when, he, when the liquid um, metal, the, what was it, the T-1000? Because um, Schwarzenegger was the T-100. This was the T-1000. T-1000 was frozen and you know shattered. Again, effects that nobody's seen before, and then melts back together. That whole concept. And again, um, What's her name? Uh, the the lead who's going to be in the new Terminator again? Sarah um, Connor. Sarah, Sarah Connor's character. I forget <laughs> the actress that um, plays her. But going through a metamorphosis because remember she was the victim 
in Terminator 1. She was the action hero in Terminator 2, cock diesel and, and you know, gone through a mental hospital and becoming a warrior, kind of like Ripley. Again, I'm not saying that there's, you know... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I yeah. do see interesting parallels yeah. here. Her character went underwent a metamorphosis. Rejected by society, like, yes. kind of just, like, not to yes. say what I'm trying to say, ostracized. It, it, it's, it's the comeback, because yep. the first time she was completely a victim, the second time she comes back to do damage. Yep. And I think, you know, there's some interesting parallels with that, and I think that was... What's funny is um, somebody made a comment before that it seems like all these powerful women from the 80s had to undergo some sort of a mental uh, jarring moment that actually left them scarred and a little crazy. Instead of just being a strong woman, they had to have been psychologically <laughs> damaged to become the hero. Yeah. Because apparently that's not within women to be a hero on their own merit. It, I don't know, though. A lot of heroes go through a psychologically damning, damaging experience, you know? Beyond the Batman, like... True, but, you know, but, like, let's... if we're gonna, I don't want to go deep into the comic lore, but, like, Superman... Oh, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he had the hand. Exactly, <laughs> Green, Green Lantern and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know what, I would say the dark heroes, if we wanted to just label them as dark heroes... They usually became heroes because something happened to them, sure. as opposed to wanting to rise to a greater meaning or a greater purpose. But so that is my Terminator Two is my favorite sequel, and um, I think these are all awesome choices. I think I think you know it gives a lot of people stuff to think about, and I'm definitely looking forward to our our next topic. Um, I, I want to wrap up, but before that, does anybody want to get any plugs in? Any you know websites, social media, followers that you guys have, any um, movies that you are interested in seeing down the line that we haven't covered. But um, let, let's start with Kyle. Kyle, do you have any uh, plugs you want to? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at leaders underscore united. Uh, so it's L I D E R S underscore united. Awesome, Justin. Uh, I don't have social media, but Sigourney Weaver, if you're listening, can you find me? I'm Justin Morris. I live in Virginia. She's she's listening, and she I hope will so. she will contact you because you know I'm your biggest fan. We have influence like that. We're influencers now. Look at <laughs> look at us go. All right, Tan, you got anything you want to put out there for the good people? Yeah, definitely. Uh, make sure you like that smash button. Um, there was something that I did want to say, and I don't know if there are any like anime nerds out there, but Studio Ghibli films have never been streamed before, and now they're going to start streaming on HBO Max, and they're like the most artistic interpretation of like anime, and like just you can see the hard work in every like scene that's drawn out. It's it's truly art and not just like a movie. I'm a huge Ghibli fan. Yeah, you know, and I- it, it's about to be on HBO, so... I'm not familiar. That's the creator? Uh, the creator's Hayao Miyazaki, but Studio Ghibli is, like, his, like, studio. Studio Ghibli. Okay. And, um, yeah, um, uh, we can definitely talk about this later, but uh, Princess Mononoke. We can do a Ghibli discussion. Oh, that's right. We yes. talked about this. Awesome animation. Uh, and... Uh, you know, first of all, I didn't even introduce myself. I just start going and introducing everybody else. My name's Julian, and you can catch me on Critical J on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can follow this podcast on bingetheory.com, as well as we have a Twitter binge theory. We also have a Facebook binge theory. And we will probably have links to any of the podcast links. We appreciate you joining us. Catch us next time. And remember, if it's worthwhile, it's worth binging. (laughs) We'll be right back.